If you have a Bible, open to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. If you don't own a Bible, um, we'd love to outfit you with one. So at the close of the service, you can head over to the Commons, which is the bookstore right in the middle of our campus, uh, and just tell them that you'd like one of the free Bibles, and they'll make sure that they get one to you. Uh, if you've got a smartphone or an iPad or something like that with you, there's also an, an incredible app, uh, YouVersion Bible app, which is a great resource. You can use that um, too. And, uh, and uh, again, that, that has kind of some like daily devotionals and things like that in there that would be be really helpful. But Matthew chapter 7 is where we are. We're ending our series in the Sermon on the Mount today. I'm going to read this text and then we will pray through it. Matthew chapter 7 verse 24. This is Jesus speaking. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Verse 28, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. Let's pray and ask God to help us with this this morning. Father God, Indeed, all authority on earth and in heaven is yours. And God, this morning, I submit to that authority. God, we submit to that authority. God, we submit to the truth of your word. Um, God, I pray that what we hear, uh, God, would absolutely transform our heart and God, that it would show up in our lives. Um, Father God, I just pray that you would remove distractions or anything that would detract from this moment, God, that we would clearly hear from you. Spirit, would you illuminate the scriptures, I pray. Would you give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear. Um, Jesus, this is always and only about you and your fame and your renown. And so, God, I just pray that you would be made much of, magnified, and lifted high this morning. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So as we finish our series on the Sermon on the Mount, um, I want us to consider this, this question. What would it look like for us to actually embrace these teachings of Jesus at the most practical level in our lives? I have loved this series. There's been a lot of positive feedback. I'm so glad that we were doing this. I think it comes at an incredibly appropriate time in our society, our culture, for the life of our church. But they can't just be a bunch of sermons that we sit here and we nod our head to and don't do anything with. And so the question that we drive to as we finish this series is what would it look like for us as a church, for us as individual followers of Jesus, to actually embrace these teachings and at the most practical levels in our lives? So think about what we've heard in this series. Jesus has taught us about being salt and light. What's that look like in my life? If I actually was salt and light in, in, in my neighborhoods, in my workplace, at school, Jesus taught on how do we deal with our anger and our lust and how to turn the other cheek, how to love your enemy. What if you embrace that at a very practical level in your life? On being generous to the poor, on our prayer life, on, on, on the true treasure of heaven, on dealing with our anxiety, on dealing with our judgment of others, on applying the golden rule. What would it look like if we embrace these teachings 
And they showed up at a very practical level in our lives. What if we actually lived out the teachings of Jesus? And the tension that I feel in this sometimes is that we can sit through these messages, we can hear these things, and, and we can know just enough about the teachings of Jesus to make us feel guilty. And guilt sometimes is kind of a religious experience for us, right? So we determine whether or not it was a good message based on how guilty it made us feel. But it doesn't make us do anything when we leave the room. And I think sometimes we live in that space, we live in that tension between I feel really guilty about what I should be doing and the joy of actually living out what Jesus has called us to live. And a lot of times we're kind of somewhere in between those two places. But the Sermon on the Mount, it challenges and encourages us to engage with this kingdom life, not just in our behaviors, but in our thoughts and in our attitudes and in our inward posture towards people and towards relationships. And the question that we should be asking as we read through what Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount is, how does my heart need to be transformed? How does my heart need to be aligned and so transformed so that we can truly follow Jesus and truly love our neighbor? And today, we're going to conclude this sermon, and in this section, we see Jesus solidify himself and his teaching and call his followers to make him and his teaching the foundation of their entire lives. And when we talk about foundations, a lot of time we think about buildings, and that's appropriate. So the building that we're in now has a foundation that is measured and designed in an exact and particular way because everything in the building is somehow and in some way tied into that foundation. And if the foundation of a building is strong and square, uh, then you don't really have concerns about that building. But if it is off, if it's weak, if, if there's a place where it lacks integrity, well, then you're very concerned about that building. And the small little issues that might be in the foundation that you try to ignore, they're always going to show up someplace else. So you, you ignore a spot in the foundation. I mean, well, now a wall is going to be too short and the roof truss won't fit. And it'll, it, you'll try to compensate for it later. But you're going to know that there is, uh, there is a lack of integrity somewhere in the foundation. And it causes problems later on. And, and that's true for our own lives, too. There are beautiful things in our past or in our childhood, uh, and there are broken things in our past and in our childhoods, and these things have an impact on how we live our life today. Those foundational moments affect how you live your life today. I, I have an opportunity to do a lot of premarital coaching uh, because of the stage of life ministry that I happen to serve in, and a lot of couples who are getting married, and I love this, and I love these conversations that we have as they're getting ready to get, uh, get married, and a lot of the times, we have conversations about, well, tell me about your family history. Tell me about what your parents' relationship was like. And, and a, a lot of times they say, well, I don't understand how that matters or why that matters. And then later on afterwards, when the husband has said, hey, you're starting to act like your mother, there's a big light that goes up, um, which if my wife is in here, that is not a bad thing. That's good. So I don't think she is. But um, but then they say, oh, that's what he was talking about. There was something foundational in her life that is now showing up later in our life. And the foundation we start with affects how we live our lives and how we relate to other. Whatever our foundation is, everything else is tied into it. Now, I got to interrupt here because this is where the gospel breaks through and where the gospel is so powerful because the gospel teaches us that it's not about what you're coming out of, but it's all about who you are coming to when you're coming to Jesus as the foundation and the builder of your life. 
So nobody should feel like they are excluded from this sermon, from this conversation here this morning. Because the gospel has a way of reorienting and rebuilding our foundation. We're going to see that. And what God wants to do in his children is he wants to build up men and women who are rooted in him, built up in truth, and live lives that stand the test of time. Hebrews tell us that our God is a builder God in in chapter 3, verse 4, for every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now, the American dream is to get a house. Got to get in a house. Got to have a house. Got to have granite countertops. Got to have stainless steel, or maybe it's dark stainless steel now. I don't know. But, but you go, got to have the house. Got to get in the house. But Hebrews says, and this is an incredible verse, it says that we are his house if we indeed hold fast our confidence and our boasting in the hope that we have in Jesus. So God as a builder has a plan. Every good building has a plan. When a building is planned out, you can tell. Uh, You walk into a space and you say, man, they really thought about this. This was intentional. This design element, this is really unique. This is great. I love this. Uh, And and look, at when a building has a plan, you can tell. When a building doesn't have a plan, you can also tell. I I grew up in the South, uh, in in Florida. In Florida, there's like real just country, country places like Apopka, Florida. It just sounds country, doesn't it? And you'll drive through Apopka and you'll drive by a structure. I won't even call it a building. You'd be like... There wasn't really a plan. The only plan was that some dude was just like, I'm going to build me something. <laughs> and I'm going to build it before lunch. And you look at it and you're like, he did. And the like, major building material was Budweiser. That was, like, that was how that thing got built. And you can tell. And, and with us, too, God, God has a, a, a plan. He created us for himself, the scripture tells us, for his glory. Uh, God didn't need us. He wasn't bored. He had a plan. He's had a plan. And this overarching story of scripture, Tim, Tim talked about it a few weeks ago, that it's all about God and all about his plan. And in that story and through that plan, God is defined as self-giving and self-sacrificing love. And as you look through the scriptures, you see how uh, selfless he is and how he shares himself in his creation he shares himself all throughout the Old Testament, but, but the ultimate imprint, the ultimate expression of this into our world is the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ perfectly expresses God's selfless love into the world. We see it in the life of Christ. We see it in the teachings of Christ. We, we certainly see it in his death. And the scripture lays out this plan. The the Apostle Paul talks about this plan in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. God is working his plan and he's working in all things for good. Uh, This is an incredible verse. If you've ever been in a moment of pain or a moment of hurt or a moment of disappointment, probably... Most likely, somebody you love has probably sent you this verse. And sometimes, if we're honest, that can be a little annoying because you're just buried in what it is, that the bad news that you got, and they're like, hey, all things are going to work together for good. But the reason that they send you that verse is because it reminds us that God is not limited in what he can build. That God is not limited in his resources or in his building materials because he uses it all. 
And what this verse reminds us of is that there might be pain in it, but there is good coming out of it. And and your circumstances and your issues, whatever it is, maybe even this morning, whatever you're sitting under, there, there might be pain in it, but the scripture tells us that there's good that's coming out of it. But Paul says we're called according to his purpose, which means that God decided to let you see him. Look at verse 29 and 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of a son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And what Paul's laying out for us is that he's telling us, look, before you ever thought about giving your life to Christ, he gave his life for you. He, he pre-decided for you to be conformed into the image of his son. He knows what he's building and he knows what it's going to look like. And, and if you're ever confused about this, and if I'm honest, I often am. I'll be in the middle of something or something happens. There's a, there's a circumstance, there's an issue, there's a struggle, there's something that comes up. It's like, God, I just don't get it. What are you doing? And I'm reminded of this, that he wants to build you and me into the very image of his son, Jesus Christ. And according to the scriptures, nothing can stop that plan. Amen. Now, the underlining framework that we come to the scriptures with as a whole, and especially passages like this, um, is this. If God is good, the scripture says he is, he's good. If God is good, and if God is loving, and if God is self-giving love, he's a self-sacrificing God, and, and if he is for my ultimate good, all true statements, and if Jesus is the perfect expression of that love, then we have to understand and embrace Jesus and his teachings as in our best interest. The scripture teaches us that God is love and that Jesus is teaching us to build our lives on that foundation. Look back again to verse 24 with me. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, now the rock is Jesus. There is nothing more stable that you can build your life on. And, And Jesus is saying, look, it's not just you saying that you agree with me. It's not enough for you to just say, Jesus, good guy, had some great things to say. It's not enough. It's, are you actually embracing and living out my teachings? Are you building on Jesus and his teaching as the solid foundation of your life? That is the question that Jesus is driving us to. Verse 25, he says this, And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Something very important that, that Jesus is so brilliant. He, he speaks to our human experience. Every person in here knows this to be true. Rain and floods do come. It says when, not if. Rain and floods do come. Building your life on the foundation of Jesus doesn't mean that you will be free from storms and floods. It means that when those storms and floods come, you'll be able to stand. Having a foundation on Jesus doesn't mean that you're going to be free from calamity. It doesn't mean free from struggle. But it means that when those storms come, you'll be able to stand in those storms. And storms 
they let us know how strong our foundation is. Storms, they let us know what kind of shape our building is in. Storms let us know if, if we just like Jesus as like a good idea or an addition to our lives. Or storms let us know if Jesus is our life. Verse 26, 27 And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Those who hear and obey, Jesus says, they stand. Those who hear and ignore, they fall. Jesus is describing discipleship. It's a building up. Jesus is the foundation. He's saying, look, start with me. Start with me and tie everything that you're desiring for your life and everything that you're doing in your life into me as your foundation. Because that foundation is the starting point out of which everything else flows. Every great building requires a sure foundation. Um, From the time I was about 11 to all through college and really post-college, I worked with my dad. My dad's a con contractor um, primarily poured foundations and slabs of, of buildings. It's not glamorous work at all, mostly because everything that you've done, somebody built something on top of. But my dad has these photo albums of concrete slabs. Like, they're this thick. You could turn one page, you're like, okay, I get the idea. It all kind of looks like... But, I mean, he's got these books, and he would, he'd look through them. One, he took, like, a zillion photographs, which is... Just photocopy the, the one you made. They all look the same. But he's got books just like this big. It's not, it's not glamorous work, but it's, but it's necessary work. And, and, and foundations are inglorious necessities, to have an enduring and God-honoring life story. It's it's the hard work that nobody really wants to take a picture of, that nobody really wants to pay attention to, that nobody really wants to notice. But it's the basis for an enduring, God-honoring life story. There's work to having a good foundation. There's four things that go into having a good foundation. The first um, thing you have to do is you got to check the soil. I, I have a friend who um, pours foundations for structures all over the country. He goes all over the country, and this is what he does. Huge, huge you know, pours. And um, I, I talked to him this week. I said, just take me through the process. Like, what do you do? What's the kind of first thing you do? And he said, the first thing we do is we check the soil. I got to know what's underneath. I got to know what kind of soil I'm dealing with because that totally determines uh, the, the type of concrete, the type of material we're going to use, the type of you know, what we can do, what, what we can't do. And, and for us, we have to check what's underneath. And it starts with Jesus. That's step one. The first thing that you have to ask yourself this morning, uh, if you want to have a good foundation, is, is have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Have you come to him in in repentance and and, and faith? Will you surrender to the process of Jesus building and God building in your life? That's step one. You got to check the soil. You got to see what's what's down there. Start with Jesus. The the second thing you do is is you grade. Um, This is where you level out, you prepare the the land, you're clearing the land in our Christian experience. This is where God totally changes the landscape of your desires. 
There are things in your life that have grown up and God blades them and he begins to grow new things. And and if you've been a Christian for a long time or maybe today is your first day, uh, you've noticed like, okay, God is kind of slowly changing these desires. He's changing the landscape of of what I want in in my life. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3 and 4 shows this picture of how God comes in our lives. It, It says this, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. You check the soil and then you grade and then dig. And that digging phase, that's where you want to get to the bedrock. That's where you want to get to what's solid. You want to go deeper. You want to get what's true. Um, the, the scripture talks about you, you move from milk to, to meat, and, and you want to go deeper. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Go deeper Go deeper in your experience of who Jesus is and the truth of his word. And then lastly, you pour. You pour. Now, this is where you, 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 you take the, the concrete, and the concrete has just the right mixture of water and sand and cement for the particular uh, application. Uh, it's also a lot of times reinforced with uh, rebar or, or, or steel that is bound together. My dad is going to be so proud of me when he listens to this <laughs> message. Um, but, but at this moment where everything just kind of comes together, there's this binding, binding together. Listen to uh, Paul lay out the, the mixture of, uh, of what this is in Colossians 3, verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, listen to what goes into this, holy, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts and kindness and humility and meekness and patience bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And and then Paul says, as you're kind of putting this all together, as it's all bound together, uh, above all these, put on love. Because that binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called into one body and be thankful. What we talk about community and and life and the the one another together, it's this being bound together, the steel coming together to make a strong foundation. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your heart. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, there's something really kind of cool. After you pour concrete, concrete has to do something called cure. And, and the first hour, I had a definition of cure, and then a guy came up to me at the end of the service, and uh, he was like, I am the technical director for the National Concrete Association. And I was like, <laughs> of course you are. <clears throat> and of, of course you're here today. Um, he's like, he almost got it all right. I was like, well, that's how it usually goes. But he gave me, he gave me a, a definition of, uh, of curing, which is great. He goes all over the country and talks about concrete, which, how'd you like that job? So um, I was like, my dad has a photo presentation for you that you're going <laughs> to, you are going to love. He, he says this, curing is providing the proper environment for the concrete to densify 
and mature and thus to achieve its full strength and potential. And I was like, man, that is so good. I wish I would have talked to you earlier this week. It would have been a huge help. Um, but I feel like that totally describes the Christian life. I even like the word cure, heal. I feel like that's what happens to us. Like we're, we're, we're curing. We're becoming what God wants us to be so that he can use us for his particular application. All these elements God brings together so that we might be used for his intended purpose. Yeah. Side note, I also really like that it doesn't get noticed. The foundation doesn't get noticed. So what would it look like to actually build your house on the foundation of truth of who Jesus is and the truth that he proclaims? What's, what's, what does that actually look like? There's about a thousand things, but if we boil it down, you have to be able to answer one question. Am I actually reflecting the selfless, self-sacrificing love of God? Is my life a life of love? Which means, is my life a life of dying to myself for the good of the world and the glory, the fame, the renown of Jesus? Because if it is not, then you are tying into the wrong foundation. If you're building your life on the foundation of Jesus, it will show itself. If you're building your life on the foundation of something else, that will also show itself. And this is not simply a question of, hey, do you know a lot about the Bible or even do you know a lot about Jesus? It's a question of how much do you look like your life is built on Jesus? Because this whole time in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been quite clear about what he wants us to be doing in the, in the world. It's not like we're confused about, well, what should we be doing because he's been so ambiguous? He lived it, he taught it, he died displaying a life of love. And at some point, our familiarity with that, our knowledge of that, our experience of that has to move us into the realm of obedience. Every night in, in our home, at around 7 p.m., I make a decree to my children, and the decree is, it's time to clean our rooms. Now, we have done this for years now, and it happens every night about the same time. So when I ask my children to clean their rooms, they know exactly what I want at this point. So I've, I've taught them how to do it, I've done it with, me, with, with them, so trust me, they're shouldn't be any confusion. There is usually, it's like I just spoke fresh revelation and they're like, well, we weren't ready for this. We never heard it before, but there shouldn't be any confusion. So I make the decree, clean your rooms. It's time to clean your rooms. So if my, if my daughter comes to me, it'd probably be Vera if you know her, but if she comes to me and she says, dad, I want you to know, I have prayed about cleaning my room. And I have sung beautiful songs about cleaning my room. And I've listened to podcasts and messages about cleaning my room. And I've read books about room cleaning. And, and uh, Silas and Evie and some other kids from the neighborhood, we actually started a small group. And we get around and we talk about <laughs> cleaning rooms. And in fact, we're planning a short-term trip to Bush, Alaska or Ethiopia so we can see how other kids clean their rooms in different parts of the world. 
Oh, those are all good things, but she hasn't actually done what I asked her to do. And what I really want her to do, what will really honor me as her father, what will really communicate that she trusts me, and it communicates that to everyone else around, that she trusts me is if she actually does what I've asked her to do. What we know and what we've experienced about God's love for us has to, church, it has to move us into the realm of obedience. If you are a follower of Jesus and you know the love of God and you've experienced the love of God in your life, ask yourself the question, am I actually following? Followers of Jesus do one thing primarily. They follow Jesus. And God is not interested in just building an addition onto your house. He just doesn't want this little Jesus closet over here or this guest house that's way in the backyard. What he wants to do is he wants to build the whole house on Jesus. And for that to happen, you and I have to surrender to the process of being conformed to the image of Jesus, which means that he is Lord over everything. If you want your life to be built on this foundation, it means that he is Lord over everything. We surrender to how he builds. We, su we surrender to his renovations. We, we, when he wants to add something, we trust him. When he wants to knock a wall out, we trust him. We surrender our lives to him. And, and this is where Jesus drives the whole sermon. This is the question that we have to ask at the, at the end of, of all that we have heard, this whole series, this whole Sermon on the Mount. That the question we have to really wrestle with and we have to answer is will the foundation of our lives, will the place that everything else is tied into, that everything else flows out of, will the foundation of your life be King Jesus? Uh, we have a time of communion now and it's our moment to just remember who that king is and to once again be reoriented around him and his love for us, his sacrifice that he has made on our behalf, the relationship we have with him because of his great love. Let's pray as we prepare our hearts for that. God, thank you this morning. Um, God, just once again for your word. God, I thank you for the challenge that it brings. Um, God, I thank you for the encouragement that it brings. And God, you, do not, you don't call us to these things um, God, just so that you might control or manipulate our lives. God, you call us to life. You, you call us to a life that's more abundant. God, you call us to joy. You call us to hope and to peace. And God, I just pray that we as a church would know those things are found in living the life that you've called us to live. And so, God, would our affection for you and, God, would our trust and our faith in you be the motivation for our living out for you, for the good of the world, for the fame and renown of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.